Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, good morning. Good morning, South Hills, all the stay-at-homies watching online. Uh, we are in week three of this series, How to Be Happy. Uh, it's an interesting series, and I've wrestled with it a little bit because, honestly, over the last number of years that I've been a pastor, I've really tried to preach against this idea of uh, us as individuals just pursuing happiness because it's, it's kind of a, a pursuit that oftentimes leaves us a bit bankrupt. And so this series has been a little bit interesting for me because the reality is, is that we all want to be happy. And so what does it look like for us to experience happiness, but to be able to find it in healthy ways? Happiness may not be the, the goal of life, but if it is something that we long for, are there appropriate and healthy ways for us to actually navigate uh, our hearts and our minds towards that direction? And so that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And... Um, I was uh, thinking this week, and I was wondering, have you guys ever watched a show, a TV show, or a series, or a movie, maybe, uh, where you found yourself rooting for the bad guy? Um, maybe rooting for someone to do something that you would never actually be okay with in real life. Uh, you find yourself just in a place of like, yeah, absolutely, just crush them, yes. Uh, I saw this in a few different ways. One of the ways I've seen this over the last year or so is with my sons. I've got a six and a 10-year-old. And uh, about a year ago, they got really into Tom and Jerry. Uh, and, you know, I was just all for it because it's a classic cartoon. Absolutely. It's appropriate and family friendly. And, and then after a few months, I, I just literally saw my kids chasing each other around the house trying to kill each other. So just oversized mallets. And no, I'm just kidding. But, but, you know, if you watch Tom and Jerry, I don't know if you've seen it recently, but everybody kind of always roots for Jerry, this adorable little mouse. But he just makes Tom's life a living hell. Like, Jerry, uh, Tom's just trying to eat, you know, albeit Jerry. But uh, Jerry just torments and, and terrorizes Tom, and we're always rooting for Jerry in these situations. And we now have a, a no Tom and Jerry rule at our house uh, until my kids start to love each other a bit more. But, uh, and you don't have to show hands, I get that, but uh, maybe you were one of the few people, the few millions of people that watch Game of Thrones, and you found yourself at the end of that show just hoping and rooting for the Dragon Queen to just wipe out the entire nation. Uh, or maybe you remember the movie Ocean's Eleven, and you're just cheering on like, man, I hope those thieves and con man are uh, they're able to pull off that casino job. You know, it's like they're very charming. And um, Andy Garcia, uh, he took that guy's ex-wife. Uh, she left him because he was terrible, but I hope he gets him back. You know, like as we find ourselves just really kind of cheering for these things that, you know, when we start to really think about it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It doesn't necessarily play out that way. And I think this is kind of the, the power of story and storytelling. And it shows up in all kinds of different ways, but story is a powerful thing. And the more stories we hear, the more stories we listen to or we read or we watch, uh, they really begin to influence our mind and they get us to start thinking a certain way. Story is a powerful thing and advertisers have figured this out and, um, you know, whereas before they used to just really, primarily commercials were, you know, if you don't get this thing, 
you'll never be able to be happy was kind of the, the short version of the message. But this, they've changed a lot now. And I was just listening to something. I can't remember what it was, but this week it was, I think it was a podcast somewhere. But they were talking about specifically uh, these things that are called dadvertisements, uh, which is, I appreciate anything that's two words combined. Um, but how they have figured out this way to market to dads. And it's not trying to sell them a product. It's trying to sell them an idea of the type of dad that everybody wants to actually be. And so they show this beautiful, emotional picture of a dad who is also uh, happens to be holding a Mac laptop or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's this idea of, I want to be that kind of person, and they have that thing, so I should probably have that thing. And it's all very kind of subliminal and subconscious, but again, it's this power of story that shapes our minds and our hearts, our desires. And it's kind of constantly telling us that if we are unhappy, it's probably because our life is a bit too predictable and maybe too routine. And this is a common plot twist or tw uh, trope, an idea in storytelling and movies. I actually saw a preview for a movie yesterday, uh, and the, it looks like a crazy movie. But this preview popped up, and it literally the lady says to this guy they're dating, and it's a very unhealthy relationship from what I can tell from the preview. I'm professional. Uh, and so, uh, and she literally says, if you dated someone who loved you, you would be bored out of your mind. It was like a line that she said, basically justifying how poorly she treats him. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know? And, and there, but there's this sense of, I think that people really believe that they need this spike of excitement, of adventure, of pleasure, the unknown, the, the, um, the always like the fireworks, and we pursue that oftentimes to really unhealthy ends. I think that there's a, a, a world in which uh, it communicates to us that all of our lives should be this constant adventure, constantly full of brand new things, brand new experiences, these, these moments that leave us just like shocked and on the edge of our seat. We, we kind of take in these ideas that this is what life should look like. And if we're not having that kind of adventure or that kind of fun or these types of moments, then our life is broken and we should do something to shake it up. It seems to work in movies and commercials, but when it plays out in real life, living that way doesn't actually bring us what we want. I had a pastor, and a mentor, uh, still a mentor of mine, and he used to use this phrase. He would always say, he's like, play the tape out. Yes, it seems thrilling and exciting and fun and better than what you have in this moment, but it's just the moment. Play the tape out. What does this look like a year from now if you go down this path? What does it look like five years from now if you make this decision? Play the tape out. I know people that have struggled with boredom and uh, just kind of a, a sense of un, uh, maybe restlessness in life, and, and they've found some sort of connection emotionally with somebody else, and, and there was this idea that if I pursue this relationship, then that will bring me happiness that my marriage or my relationship here can't bring me. And so because of this momentary idea of the joy or the pleasure that comes from this pursuit, it brings so much pain. It doesn't actually bring them the happiness that they long for oftentimes. I have friends that have, you know, wanted to have more money, more finances, be able to buy the stuff that they wanted. And so they've made decisions in their jobs to just kind of shave a little bit off of the top of different accounts and numbers at their workplaces. I know multiple people that have done this 
and they've gotten caught, and they spent time in prison, and, and their lives have been really uh, just absolutely shattered because of this idea that if I just got this little bit more, it would bring me the happiness. And, and people are making these decisions because there's this lie that we believe that if I do this thing, or if I get this thing, or if I feel this experience, then I'll be happy. But that's not actually true. It brings usually, maybe even almost always, it brings kind of the sense of pain and brokenness. I think we believe that if we're not being actively thrilled or entertained, our lives are broken. I think social media plays into this a little bit. We are always seeing how amazing everyone else's lives are. As we scroll through, they're very curated and filtered photos. Uh, you guys have taken family photos before. You have like 74 of them that are a mess. And then one of them, everybody's mostly smiling. And so that's the one you post. There's this idea, I don't know who said it first, but you know, we compare our blooper reels to everyone else's highlight reels. We see like the best of the best of their moments, but we're aware of the worst of our own moments. And we're constantly feeling like we should be doing something as interesting or exciting or entertaining as everyone else is. We're always trying to find that kind of mental or emotional stimulation. I have, like I said, I've got two kids, and um, one of the things that they probably really dislike, but I find a lot of joy in, is when they come up to me and they say, I'm bored. And I say, good. I love it. I love when they're bored. They're hardly ever bored. They have more to do, more to watch, more games to play, more uh, of what they have is so much more than what I had when I was a kid. And it's not, I mean, a lot of it's just technology and time and how it's progressed. And not that all that stuff is bad, but there is this sense in our minds, I think, that even as adults, we wrestle with this a little bit, that I should never be bored. If I'm bored, then maybe I should be working. And even when we're relaxing or taking time off, there's a sense of guilt that I should probably be doing something work-wise. And then for those of us that work a ton, and, and we are at work maybe more than we should be, and we kind of have this thought of like, ah, I should probably be spending time with my family. And there's always this other thing that we should be doing, this other thing that we should be pursuing. We're constantly kind of scattered around trying to find this high, this experience that brings us a sense of, of happiness. A cultural message oftentimes that we hear is that happiness comes from constantly having fun and that anything that's routine or mundane or dare we say boring is something that's broken in your life that needs to be replaced everything should be thrilling but I'm not sure that that's actually true the constant pursuit of fun ends up being unfulfilling and a lot of what produces fulfillment isn't always fun and this is not necessarily what we want to be true, <laughs> just often is what's true. The pursuit of fun oftentimes leaves us feeling empty. We'll talk about some of the ways that shows up, but I think if you were to scroll through any sort of interviews or maybe even just watch the news about celebrities or musicians or movie stars that seem to have everything they could possibly want, and you begin to wonder, like, why are their lives seemingly more messed up than mine? Why are their relationships struggling? Why are they unhappy? Why are they still pursuing all of these things? They have everything. Jim Carrey kind of famously quoted one time, he said, I wish that everyone was rich and famous and could do everything they ever dreamed 
so they can see that it's not the answer. To which we say, let me try. <laughs> Jim, I think you're doing it wrong. Uh, there is a sense, we, we hear it from other people, we see it on the news, we see it in their, as their lives are kind of falling apart, we recognize they have so much more and, and they can do whatever their heart's desire is and somehow their lives are struggling and broken for in many of the same ways that mine are, but there's still this belief that if I could just do whatever I want or have whatever I want or always experience the highs and the happiness and the, and the peaks, then I would, find, I, would, I would finally feel that sense of happiness and fulfillment, but it's just, it's not a reality. We don't see that as a reality in anyone's life because happiness isn't a momentary spike of pleasure, but it's this bigger, deeper way of living. Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, and, and I want to read a passage to you guys in just a moment. This passage kind of articulates two different ways of living. And the first one, and, and there's ways that Paul talks about this. He, he refers to like our flesh, our, our fleshly desires, our human desires. This is kind of our most base, basic, broken uh, attitude or orientations. And then the second one is a life that's devoted to or committed to trying to pursue what God has called us to pursue. I want to read from the message paraphrase because I think it just phrases it in a way that's a little bit different than maybe we're familiar with. It says this, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Now, just pause there for a second. Our own way is fun, happiness, thrill, thrills, excitement. I mean, all the things that we just, yeah, I want it just all the stuff exactly the way that I want it when I want it. He says, it's obvious what kind of life develops from there. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. And then he says, I could go on, <laughs> which is like, well, that's a pretty dark list, Paul. <laughs> um, get some new friends. Uh, no, but there's a sense where he's articulating and and I don't know that any one of us could be like, yes, I have felt all of those things. But I bet that every one of us could be like, yeah, I've gone that direction. Uh, in my pursuit of happiness, in my pursuit of feeling fulfilled, of, of feeling you know, goodness or joy or love or whatever it is, in my, in my human perspective, as I've pursued those things, it's brought me to something on this list. I know for me, I can probably pick out a handful of them. We've all felt this, and this is what happens when we get to have exactly what we want when we want it. And then he goes on, the next two verses, this is a passage that you may be familiar with. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And again, this is a message paraphrase, so it, it uses different words to articulate it. But I just want us to hear this through something different than what we're familiar with. He says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, 
a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life. We're able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. There's this difference of what Paul is articulating that, you know, on one side, if we're to think of maybe two different paths or two different uh, directions we could go, on one side, there's this idea of if I could have everything I want, the way I want it, and, the, and when I want it, if I had full control and I could just make the decisions to get what I want to be happy, it leads us in this one path. And then he articulates when we live God's way, it leads us in this other path. And what I think is fascinating is that one path leads to, and maybe we can just categorize that first section of verses as unhappiness or brokenness or shame. We could put a, a lot of different words there. One path leads that direction. But as we live towards the way of Jesus, as we try and model our lives after the way of Jesus and live the way that God has called us to live, what that produces in us is certain emotional states. Living a certain way produces peace, patience, and joy. These are three words that we would use if someone were to ask, you know, ask you, how would you describe what it would feel like to be happy? You would probably use some of these words. I just, you know, I just feel peace. I don't, I'm not stressed, full of anxiety about, you know, what's going on. I, I just feel a sense, even in the midst of the chaos, I feel peace. Patience. I, I'm not in a rush. I'm happy to be where I'm at. I'm enjoying life, the stage my kids are at. It's not always easy, but they're incredible. Or my, my, my relationships or my friendships. There's this sense where these are words that we would use to articulate what it might feel like to be happy. And the other words that he uses in the traditional uh, passage uh, or the tradi traditional translation, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are all certain ways of being. When we live the way that God has called us to live, it produces in us certain feelings and emotions, and it also produces in us certain ways of being. And these are things that we really long for. If we were to look at a list of what we want out of life, I feel like everybody would choose these things. But if we were to have kind of a choice in front of us at any given moment of which one we want to feel right now, most of us would choose just an immediate spike of pleasure or happiness, because that's that, that short term, I, I want it now, I don't want to have to wait for it, has just infiltrated so much of our lives. There's this idea of cultivating a garden. It says the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. I've, ta I've talked about this a little bit in the past. I grew up in North Carolina. My family, we didn't have a whole lot. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she homeschooled all four of us kids, which is why I'm so weird. Uh, and... <laughs> Um, but uh, my dad oftentimes would work three jobs uh, just because it was really difficult. And even still, there's a lot of times we had without. We had a, a well where we would pump our own water because we didn't have electricity fairly often. We had over an acre of land, and we had this massive garden on it because we wouldn't have food other ways. Uh, we had chickens, not as pets. Um, <laughs> they were other things. Uh, I'll just leave it there. Uh, so we just... We just didn't have 
a lot. But in this garden, you know, there was work that we did in this whole garden of, of tilling the soil and watering and going in and pulling out weeds and making sure that rabbits didn't come in and all these different things. But then we also, each of us kids, we had our own little plot in the garden and we could plant whatever we wanted. And I remember even as a kid, when all you really want is McDonald's and a Happy Meal, there was still this sense of like goodness when I was like, man, this was grown in my part of the garden. I was able to cultivate this. There was something about that that just meant so much, even as like a nine and a 10-year-old in my life. I remember that very clearly. And I think that we have kind of a similar experience, but in a much deeper way, this reality that when we grasp at something that gives us momentary or immediate happiness or thrill or excitement, sure, for a moment, but when we experience, man, I just feel more gentle than I have ever in my life. And it's been a long journey, and I'm not exactly where I want to go, but this is, this is what I've longed for. And I just feel a sense of peace, and I'm, I'm not always, like, stressed out and anxious and, and worried. These are the things that we really long for. These are the things that when we get a taste of them, they mean so much more than any of the, the momentary things that we hold on to. Fruitfulness is something that we experience as we live God's way. It brings about fulfillment. Fulfillment does not always equal fun. <laughs> and that's the problem. We want to have fun. When we pursue fun, it rarely ends up in fulfillment. But when we pursue fulfillment, we experience these good things that ultimately help us experience happiness. We want things fast and rapid we want the microwavable version of wholeness and goodness. We want rapid results and resolutions. But God works over time, through rhythms, and through routines. And we can see this across Scripture in a number of different stories. We don't have time to turn to them all, but you guys are familiar probably with David. Uh, David is a shepherd boy. He went out to a, a field and took a slingshot, and, and he was able to slay a giant in this army against the Philistines. David, who uh, was called a man after God's own heart. David, who was one of the most uh, kind of respected and kind of the loved kings and leaders of Israel. Um, it was fascinating, and a lot of people don't think about this, but David was the youngest of all of his brothers. He had a lot of brothers. And when the prophet came to find the next king, God said, I want it to be David. And so the prophet Samuel, he, he anoints David to be the king of Israel. Can you imagine as like a 14-year-old? being told, you're going to be the king of Israel. The craziest thing about it is it was over 15 years later that he actually became the king of Israel. What a nightmare. I mean, think about just 15 years ago in your life. Think about where you were at, who you were, the job, the relationship, you know, all these different facets of your life. 15 years is a long time. And there's this aspect where God is able to, to say and identify David and say, you are going to be a king. You are my chosen representative for uh, the people of Israel. And then there is just this waiting. He didn't leave his house that day to a parade or to a celebration or fireworks. He left to go back to watch the sheep in the fields again. God has this way of allowing us to go through time that we just want to rush through. Why do I have to wait this long? Why does it have to take this long? Why can't I just get there? 
a few weeks ago, uh, Mike, when he was here preaching, he talked about the story of Naaman and how Naaman had leprosy and he wanted to be healed, and, but he was really upset because he was told the way to be healed was to go and to dip in this pool seven different times, and after he would dip himself in this pool, then he would be healed, and, and there was kind of like this pride of uh, just this, I don't really want to do that, and, and I would assume if it was me, the frustration, I've heard this God can do anything, why do I have to go through this process? Why do I have to do these things? Why can't he just make it happen in my life? But again, there's this learning in the routine, in the mundane, in the time that it takes. It shapes character. It breaks down pride. It builds trust. And then the last one I want to look at is uh, a blind man. In the Gospels, there's a number of stories about Jesus healing blind people. Um, there's uh, eight specifically that it talks about. And then there's a few verses where it talks about how Jesus healed many blind people. So we don't really know how many times this happened, but at least eight times. And uh, in John chapter 9, we have this story. And you can imagine, you know, this, this blind man just having heard about the, the power of Jesus and what he's able to do, these miracles he's able to provide. So he goes and he comes to Jesus. And, and in verse 9, it says that, or chapter 9 of John, verse 6, it says this. It says, Jesus then spit on the ground made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Gross. He told him, probably like the one thing Jesus didn't need to say, <laughs> go wash this off. <laughs> he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, and Siloam means scent. So the man met, uh, went and washed and came back seeing. Again, let's put ourselves in the shoes of this man who has heard the power and the miracles and what God is able to do in a moment, and he longs for nothing else to be blind. He's been blind since birth. And Jesus, instead of just waving his hand or snapping his fingers or just making it happen, he does something totally different. And I can't imagine how I would maybe feel confused, frustrated, disoriented, wondering, am I really going to do this? But there's this process, this routine, this time. Over and over again, we see God works over time through a process, through routines. That's where healing and wholeness and goodness most often come in our lives. Fulfillment is most often found over time, not in these momentary grabs for excitement or adventure or pleasure. When God assigns us to do something or to follow a process, it's not random. There's something that he wants to instill in us. Again, I go back to this passage in Galatians where it talks about it's, it's like an orchard where over time something is growing and it becomes good and beautiful and bountiful. So the, the big question that I want us to consider is what is God asking you and I to do on a regular basis that may feel mundane or monotonous, but is actually most likely to produce a sense of happiness? What is the thing that, that you have this sense that God might be asking you to do that it doesn't always feel thrilling or exciting, but over time you recognize that it will bring me something that I love, bring me some sense of wholeness and fulfillment that I long for? Because I think we all have these things in our lives that we need to be able to slowly, one foot in front of the other, pursue to experience this.
what is that thing for you? A few months ago, we went through a series where we talked about spiritual disciplines. We talked about the importance of these routines and these rhythms. Those same words were used. And I just very clearly said, and I'll say it again, it is not always thrilling to read the Bible. Maybe it is for you. For me, it's not. I'll just, in, in case you're worried and you think you're doing it wrong, it's not always thrilling. I don't always want to pray. I don't always want to, uh, th these, these spiritual disciplines, these practices, it's not like that's always what I exactly want to do in these moments. It's a choice to continue to practice these rhythms and these routines because I believe that it actually cultivates wholeness and fulfillment, which is what I really long for, healing and wholeness in my life and in my mind. So what are these things for you? And as we talk about this specifically today, in my last couple minutes, I just want to touch on three things because I think that in the church that I grew up in and kind of the, the version of Christianity that I grew up in, they really tried to separate a lot, kind of our physical lives from our spiritual lives. And I think there was this struggle to understand what did it mean in our physical, everyday lives uh, to live the way of Jesus. And so they just really focused on this fact of, well, if it's hard to understand, at least you just know you're not going to go to hell. Like it was just like the spiritual later on, that's the, that's the most important thing. And I think that what I've learned over the last 10 years or so as I've grown and wrestled and struggled through a lot of these things that I've always just kind of assumed or taken in and believed without really processing through is I've realized that our physical realities and our spiritual realities are oftentimes really bound together. There's a closeness. There's a connection between these things. And so... One of the things is we've been preparing for this series, talking about happiness. We've been trying to balance out what Christ has called us to do. And then also, what is it that um, society, culture, research has actually found, in case you're not totally sure if you want to risk it all on this Jesus thing, is there actual proof that this works? And what we've found as we prepared for this is that there's studies that have shown that happy people tend to have a few habits, and here's three of the habits that they tend to have. They pursue the sacred alongside others. So it talks at, at length, as this isn't a Christian uh, survey, it just talked to, about people that are pursuing their faith in a faith community and the impact that that has on them. It talks about how they take care of their physical body and they act their way into feeling better. And I just want to look at these really briefly because I think it's an important thing. And all of these have to do with our physical bodies and the choices that we are making physically with our lives, with our time, and the way it correlates into experiencing a sense of fulfillment. The first one is that they pursue the sacred alongside of others. For the early church, it, this meant, you know, prioritizing worship and gathering and eating meals together, which is my favorite part of Christianity, uh, and, and all of these different functions of what does it mean for us to actually be together and make this a priority, so much so that the writer of Hebrews articulated uh, that some people were forgetting that it's crucial for them to gather and meet together. In Hebrews 10.25, uh, the writer says, don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing but encourage one another even more as you see the day approaching. And right before that, they talk about the specific encouragement. They say, uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Um, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Pursuing uh, the sacred, the holy, uh, alongside of others, it allows us 
to remind each other that God can be trusted. When we physically show up and, and come around each other, we get to sing songs like we did this morning where we sing, I am a child of God. And I may not have felt like it yesterday. And I may have been hurt or burned or rejected or abandoned by somebody else. But we get to remind each other that this is true. Physically showing up, it helps us connect and experience a fulfillment that we can't otherwise. The second one is they take care of their physical body. And in this article, it talks about five different things specifically. They say getting the right amount of quality sleep, being physically active, eating foods that fuel your body, being mindful of the things that you put in your body, and monitoring, I can never say that word well, monitoring the amount of stimulation that you have coming into your mind. These five things, I've said we need to do these things to experience uh, kind of a physical awareness, physical health. These are the things that really, I think, came naturally to people in the first century because they went to bed when it was dark and they woke up when it was light. Everything was organic. Uh, <laughs> everything was non-GMO. Uh, there was just a very different sense. that A lot of this stuff was just kind of built into the reality of life. But we have to be intentional about these things. We have to choose to be intentional about how we spend our time, the way we experience stimulation from screens and time, the things we eat, whether or not we're being physically active. Um, I've alluded to this a couple of different times, and I, I have kind of avoided talking about it because I just never wanted to be one of those people that talks about the gym very much. So I'm not talking about this because I need content for my Instagram or anything like that. Uh, I'm talking about this because... Um, Every once in a while, in the past, when I would sneeze, I would like twist my neck. That's how physically fit I was. Uh, or maybe if you go to like back into a parking space, you ever do this maneuver, and you just never recover from twisting that direction. So anyway, so last summer I started, I was like, I need to do something. And so I started going to the gym, and um, I, I knew that I just needed to do it kind of first thing in the morning, but I'm not a morning person, but I made this commitment, and I was going to start doing this thing. And, and honestly, I've really enjoyed it, and it's been a great experience, and I've gone way more than I thought that I would, and consistently early in the morning. And uh, this last week, I was talking to a friend, and Jim's came up, exercise, all this kind of stuff, and he, I told him, because I go at 545, and he's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, how do you do it? I was like, well... I'm pretty awesome. No, I said, it's not easy. I was like, it's really, really hard, but I just, I have continued doing this thing, and I just feel so much better in all the ways. I actually don't wear different size clothes. <laughs> that hasn't changed, but I feel so much better and present and ready for the day, and even on the hardest days to get up, it just, I know that it's worth it, and he's like, man, that's crazy. And then literally the very next day, the alarm went off, and I was like, I'm so mad I said all those things out loud. I don't want to do this today, but I just like six hours ago, I said how much better I feel. But there is a crucial connection between who we are, how we show up, a sense of fulfillment that we feel in how we care for our physical bodies. And it's not having like Ryan Reynolds abs necessarily. It's just being active. It's just showing up and caring. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. And then the third thing, really quickly, because I know I'm just a little bit over in time, but um, uh, acting your way into feeling better. 
Now, this is maybe a little bit of, I want to be cautious because I'm not suggesting we um, fake it. I'm not, I'm not suggesting hypocrisy. I am suggesting that we, um, we do the things that will help us become the types of people that we want to be, even when we don't feel like it. Uh, one person said it this way. They said, you receive the benefits from what you do, not from what you feel like doing. There is a sense of, uh, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do, that I need to do, that I should do, that I have to do. And the benefit comes from doing them, not necessarily from wanting to do them. And so there's an intentional choice that we can make in these moments in our physical lives, at work, in our relationships, whether it's fitness, whatever these things are, where we say, you know what, I'm going to do these things and believe that it will help me feel the way I want to feel about it. James 1 talks about this idea of not just listening to God's word, but also doing what it says. And I think that this is reinforcing this idea. It's not about what you know or what you feel like doing, but it's about what you actually do. It's not about how much you know spiritually. It's about how you live and how you're showing up. It's not about what you feel like doing in your life. It's about the choices. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this space. Happiness is feeling satisfied emotionally because you did what was healthy physically. He said, I'm going to commit to being a part of a community that's living in a certain way. I'm going to commit to caring for my body, even though there's days when I don't love every aspect of it. I recognize, as Paul talked about how uh, we're a temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God created you and me, and as much as we might be unhappy or resent aspects of our physical bodies, it is something that God created and crafted, and there's value and goodness in it, and we need to recognize that. And there's a decision that we get to make about doing the things, even when we don't feel like doing them, because we believe it will bring us to a place that we want to be. I want us to, to wrestle with this idea as we think about happiness. It's not grabbing at the quick, momentary stuff that brings us a spike of pleasure or a spike of happiness or kind of this quick peak of having that thing that we want, but it's this chosen path of saying, I'm going to live the way God has called me to live because it will cultivate something inside of me that nothing else can compete with and nothing can take away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.